Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Paul Merriman. Paul, are you ready to do this? You know, George, strong and powerful. I don't know that that's ever happened to me before, but thank you. Yes, I am strong and powerful today. Yes, well, let's do this. Paul founded an investment advisory firm in 1983, which grew to over $1.5 billion in assets with 2,000 clients. In 2013, he founded the Merriman Financial Education Foundation, and one of its many uh, many workings is funding a 40-hour course at the Western Washington University titled Investing for the Non-Finance Major, where students can learn about real-world financial concepts that, you know, Paul, I, I we, we, we hear all about it, how people sort of lament that they never learned how to do regular personal finance stuff, so I certainly commend you for that. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why it is you do what you do? Well, for, first of all, uh, to fill in just a little thing that happened there uh, in 2012, I retired and sold my company. Got it. And when I did that, uh, I looked around and asked, you know, what can I do to, to help others? And it was really my wife's idea that I underwrite this uh, class at Western. And I had just done a PBS special the year before, and I was on a roll, I felt, in terms of education and had a, a lot of, of, of fortunate exposure. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep working just as hard as I did before, and I've always been a workaholic, so you know how, you know how much that means in terms of the hours you put in. But instead of putting it into raising money to manage while I was teaching, I turned purely to teaching and basically to teach the do-it-yourself investor or the investor who wants to make sure whoever's working for them is doing the best for them. And all of that is about education from my viewpoint. Excellent. So you retired in 2013 and have been working full-time at this. Has it been harder work, the same kind of work, more rewarding, a little easier? It is so much easier. I mean, when you, <laughs> when you compare being an investment advisor, it, that it is a huge responsibility. And it's never easy because you got a couple sitting in front of you. One is conservative. One is aggressive. Uh, but one thinks the stock market is really scary, and the other one thinks putting money in the bond and, and the bank is crazy. And you have to find a, some sort of a compromise between those two and make sure they get where they're trying to go. I loved it, but every day I felt the weight of all that responsibility. Now. I don't do that anymore. It's all about showing people how to do it on their own, doing the best I know to motivate them to move to action, but I don't have to carry all that concern home at the end of the day about what did I do to these people I care so much about. So it's very different, but I've never had so much fun. Well, I'm glad to hear that. So, And I know that 
you spend an enormous amount of time and you produce so much great content. You're 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 doing presentations and seminars uh, for for young people and for for older people um, all across the board. And I know that you were telling me that no matter who you're talking to, it really it's it's maybe not the same, but it's it's a very similar message that that you're sharing with them. And really, a lot of financial success comes down to making a few really powerful and good decisions. So I'd love to hear about that. Well, uh, it is interesting. I think it's Warren Buffett who said that to be a success, you only have to do a very few things right as long as you don't do too many things wrong. <laughs> and I, I just don't know uh, another area in life where it is so simple uh, to determine kind of what's right or what's wrong. I, I wrote a, an ebook that's free on my website called 101 Investment Decisions guaranteed to change your financial future. And of course, as you know, George, that word guaranteed, you got to be careful how you use it and not mislead people. So I am quick to admit that if you follow my recommendations, that you may make more or you may make less, but I guarantee it'll be different Mm -hmm. because (laughs) the path that you'll take, those decisions you make that that are huge decisions, you know, something so simple as, and it's not simple, I shouldn't say something so simple, as the decision to save uh, versus spend. Uh, When I'm teaching high school kids about the biggest decision they'll ever make, that's it right there. And that fork in the road is going to face them not only when they're 16 to 18, but when they're probably 30 to about 40, people have a tendency to forget about their saving more than they should and, and focus on the good life and putting all that money they're making to work for today. But I, my view is I don't need to own a home. I don't need to own a car. I don't need even to buy new clothes. I know people who, who, who buy used clothes. I don't need those things. But by golly, when I am some particular age, unless I want to live on Social Security or unless I was born to the right rich people, I absolutely need to have money there to support myself in retirement. So uh, that saving decision, that is just huge. And then it gets easier because, the, you know, as you know, George, you can invest in a mutual fund today, a target date fund, that is going to literally take care of you given your age and whatnot and when you want to retire. It's going to take care of you for the rest of your life. And if you do that, if you go that route and put your money into a target date fund that, that automatically reduces risk as you get older, that means that you've got to be unbelievably careful that you get in one that has low expenses and massive diversification and all of these other decisions we're going to make along the way. But you make one decision in your lifetime, it better be the right one. No, no doubt about that. And I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into that. Um, from your experience, obviously many years being an actual investment advisor and helping so many different families and clients, and now 
your experience working with um, just doing more more programming and, 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 and trying to help educate. Do you think that that people have changed over the course of time? And, and, and I guess my question is sometimes the millennial generation um, gets talked about as being so much different than Generation X and then baby boomers. Do you think that from a savings and personal finance perspective, people are changing and are different, or are we pretty much the same? You know, I think what happens, it kind of depends on the history that you're exposed to. Mm -hmm. So when I think about my parents and my grandparents, what they remember, I mean, all of their lives, they remembered the Depression. And, and, and they carried that in their frugality and saving habits. Back, back in the mid-60s uh, when I came into this industry, 1960s, uh, people were saving about 11% on average. Today it's half of that, if half. And I think a lot of that had to do with that, that mindset they got coming out of the Depression where Uncle Harry went broke and all those things. And by the way, that may have happened to millennials, because if you think from 1976 or 75 until 1999, the stock market compounded at over 17% a year. Now, that's a lesson in what the market can do for you. And you can see why when people got into the swing of of that, that they liked it and they weren't afraid of the stock market. But then... From the year 2000 through uh, 2017, the S&P 500, this wonderful, unbeatable asset class, and that's how people looked at it, compounds at 5.4%. And that period includes some things that recently happened, like the wipeout in technology funds and whatnot in 2000 through 2002, just after people piled into those asset, that asset class. And then we have the 2007 through 2009 bear market, which was totally different from the 2000 through 2002, except they were both bear markets. Mm-hmm. And you think about what younger, younger people have gone through for, let's call it, the first 15 years of, of their investment career. It's been ugly. And I read somewhere that millennials, something like 23% of them, refuse to put money in the stock market. That's, I, I think that's simply because, like, uh, in fact, one of my favorite books uh, is entitled Your Money and Your Brain by Jason Zweig. It is a phenomenal read about the psychological end of, of the investment process. And one of the things he and, and other people who talk about the psychological aspects of investing will comment on is that what has happened recently is considered to be more important than what happened over a very long period of time. And that, that colors people's thinking about what the world is going to be like for them. And unfortunately, that was a terrible lesson for them to learn, but they probably sat around their parents who were moaning and complaining about all the bad things that investing has done to them. And uh, so 
I think that happens. That's on the other side of the coin. And I started in this business in the 60s, 1960s. But on the other side of that coin is that investing has never been simpler than it is today. Never, not even close. When I came into the industry, almost everything was about load mutual funds. Mm -hmm. And the load was 8.5%. Okay? That even included on bond funds. <laughs> In fact, one of the major um, mutual fund companies tried to bring out a money market fund with 8.5% commission <laughs> building. Good, it's it. a great and idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're the seller. Right. But, but, but we didn't have a lot of no-load funds. We didn't know what an index fund was. We didn't have a target date fund. We had high expenses. If you wanted to trade an individual stock, you could trade 100 shares of IBM, and, and the broker would get $175 for that 100 shares. Today, you can do it for $4.95. That's $4, of course, and 95 cents. Right. So it's much simpler today the problem is it's not any easier because you still have uh, – I, uh, I make a lot of aggressive anti-Wall Street comments, and it's not that they're evil people. It's just that their dedication is to the money they make first. I'm not saying they don't want to help you, but first and foremost, it's about that industry as opposed to the investor. And today, if you get a good education – there's no question in my mind. You can learn how to invest with you uh, being the number one focus and be thinking, what's in it for me? And don't lose that, that commitment to making sure that everything that you do as an investor is about your best interest. Don't worry about Wall Street. They'll do just fine. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot of great stuff there, and I think that recency bias is such a huge thing, and I think we're seeing that in every aspect of our culture right now, not just the uh, the financial markets. And we would all serve ourselves well to remember history further back than just our own personal history. So, you so know, I, that's a that your point. I think is really important, George, because uh, I'm not. I'm not getting into politics here, but uh, if I could step back and say that what you just said, it certainly seems to be true of the political environment. But if I had to write a book entitled 101 Personal Decisions Guaranteed to Change Your Financial Future, to change your personal future, I would, I would come to 101 forks in the road and say, forget Republicans, forget Democrats. What would be your position on either helping or not helping somebody else? It would be the same, from my viewpoint, the same simple decisions that we make, load versus no load, big cap versus small, index funds versus actively managed it should be the same simple decisions, but there's so many people making money trying to get you to go the other route, whether it's in the financial or the political environment, that I think we get trapped and do stuff that's just plain stupid. I think that that's excellent advice right there. Strip away the labels of right wing, left wing, yep. Vanguard, TD Ameritrade, whatever. Say, okay, in this scenario, which how how would you respond 
to this? Which 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 would you prefer? Would you prefer to be invested in in companies in the United States? Would you know how do you feel about companies that are that are located over whatever? And every one of those decisions mm-hmm. change the way that you're viewing it. Change change the frame and get down to really the fundamentals. And if we can get people to forget about the stories, Wall Street makes a living telling stories. <laughs> and they, 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 I was once on Wall Street. I was a broker for three years back in this, the 1960s. And uh, they taught us when you went to school, learn how to sell, that you sell the sizzle, not the steak. <laughs> but if we can get investors to focus on the steak, there's lots to understand about investing that's it's all in numbers it's what's the risk of this investment for the last 50 years 100 years what's what's the likely return of that how long can that asset class be out of sync with what you're expecting get ready to know what the real battle is like and you'll never understand that if all you focus on is the courtship and the honeymoon, we got to get to reality to find out what investing is about. I like it. So, when you are talking to uh, talking to brand new to people who don't have experience investing that that, that want to get started, I guess this is such a big question. But where where do you start with that? What what is a starting point for somebody who wants to make good decisions? Well, I think it's uh, uh, it's about the basics because there are only a handful of decisions that you really need to make that are going to likely be life changers. Uh, I do think it's important to make sure that young people, when I think in terms of first-time investors, that's where my mind goes. But when I was uh, in my 20s, I started as a broker when I was 22 years old. And uh, if I talk to young people, almost without exception, if you ask them, what's your goal? What's your dream? How much money would you like to have someday? And they would respond almost every time, oh, God, I'd love to have a million dollars. And it's fascinating, George, that even today, if you talk to young people and, and not set it up so they know where you're going, if you talk about what would be their dream, how much money would you like to have? it is still a million dollars. And and so I, first of all, I want young people to understand because it might uh, uh, color their thinking about how much they feel they have to save in order to have that one third of their life be a lot of fun. I'm talking about retirement. And it isn't a search for a million dollars. It's a search for enough money to support the lifestyle that you would like to have in 40 years and to figure out what steps do I need to take and then just in case the future doesn't look just like the past, because if we know it's going to look like the past over 40 years, that it's almost a slam dunk to get a 10% compound rate of return. In fact, even substantially higher than that. But what if the future isn't as uh, uh, profitable as it has been in the past? Should we build our future decisions based on hoping for the best but preparing for the worst? 
that's what I believe. Now, other people, optimistic people, want to believe that the really good things are going to happen to them for the rest of their life, and they don't need to save as much as I want them to save. But my belief is if I could get all these young people to save close to what I'm recommending they save, uh, that at the end of their working years, they won't be disappointed that they oversaved. I over, my wife and I, we oversaved because we wanted to live aggressively, give a lot of money away in retirement. And so, yes, we sacrificed some fun along the way, but at the end of the day, life couldn't be much better than it is right now because we did that. I appreciate that, and I'm also awfully glad to hear that. So <laughs> I like that. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. So a lot of great yeah. stuff there, sir. Well, Paul, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Well, you know, there are the the, the, the top ten uh, that I would could give them that are all so clearly defined that if I had to give them a tip, it would be make doggone sure that you know those top 10, because I think if you learn those top 10, and I write about them, I podcast about them, I, I, I do, I do uh, videos about them to, to help educate people, and I'm not selling anything. There are no advertisements on my website. It's all about educating people, but if you will learn 10 important forks in the road, I don't think I can give you a better tip than that. Now, would I have somebody read something besides my material? Oh, but of course. I mean, if, if you really want to dig, read everything Larry Swedrow writes. Larry Swedrow is one of the brightest people in our, in, our, in our business. I feel the same way about Jason Zweig. I feel the same way about John Bogle. Read his little book of common sense investing. But the bottom line is, make sure you can make the list of what those 10 things are. And then you ask yourself, well, am I doing this? Is there any way I could do this? Does this make sense not only for me, but for my children and my children? We could be changing for generations, how families act and investors act. If we can just get to the people who are going to be the future parents and grandparents, that's what my goal is. Well, that is and cool. before I die, by the way, George, <laughs> i got to do this before I die. i got to hurry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is great stuff. That definitely gets a come on. Come on. So now that we talked about those 10 things, where can I find those? paulmerriman.com paulmerriman.com hundreds of articles hundreds of podcasts almost every one is what we call evergreen it's not built to talk about today it's built to talk about in essence uh, the rest of your life and uh, and and of course the videos um, not so many people like to watch videos in fact we get about 50,000 people a week who open our podcasts. So there's something that we're doing right to get people to, to continue to listen to these long, boring uh, diatribes <laughs> that I do. But, you know, that's, that's my job. 
Well, it sounds like you're doing great work, sir. So, Thank you, too. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Paul your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to paulmerriman.com, listen to the podcast, check out all the great information on there. He is a, a busy man producing a lot of great and important content. So check that out. You'll also find all those things in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Paul. Thank you, George. It's a pleasure. I hope I can come back someday with some uh, some some new important forks in the road. Well, I'd certainly love that. So, And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!